And welcome to 40,000 Steps Radio. I'm your host, Christopher Heimerman, and I am not a licensed healthcare professional. Let's get that out of the way. I'm not a doctor, not a counselor, not a therapist. No, I am a guy with 931 days of sobriety. And I'm a guy with the gumption to put his story out there. I have another guy with the gumption to put his story out there. Brian James is more than seven and a half years sober from booze and methamphetamine. And he found a couple of saving graces, one of them in running like I did, and the other in jujitsu. This was a lot of fun to sort of dissect jujitsu and how it runs so many parallels with recovery and just living the full human experience. So grateful to Brian for joining us. So glad that all of you are here. I'm looking out the window and yet again, it's a beautiful day for us to get our 40,000 steps in. So let's get it. This was the most spot-on possible way to open season two of 40,000 Steps Radio. Troubleshooting was the name of the game this morning. Brian and I were unable to connect with my Squadcast software, which if the folks at Squadcast are listening, I'm not disappointed, not disappointed in the least bit. I'm still hoping that you will hop on board as a proud sponsor of the podcast. No, we were unable to connect, so I ended up recording this conversation using my phone and it's a story of stick with itiveness because i think there came a point where like both brian and i were, were entertaining the idea of bailing on it we were so fired up for this conversation we're both a little weird we both have different tastes we're both artists musicians and all that jazz we we're fired up for it you know but e- even i admit at one point it's like this isn't gonna work this isn't gonna work and we're, we're just gonna have to bail on it as he compared it to distance running, it's like you just, you scrap and claw till you figure it out. And so, yeah, we did the interview over the phone and you know what? I'm totally cool with that, which to me feels like a big step because, you know, I'm not just an audiophile. I am a recovering perfectionist. So the idea of not being able to use my big fancy microphone and my special software uh, where I'm going to give you a peek behind the curtain of the great Oz, you know, when I'm using Squadcast, I'm able to do some more like editing and post-production and make everything sound nice and balanced and pretty. Well, you know what? Recovery isn't, isn't always pretty, man, right? you know, to recover from what we've been through, man, we got to scrap and claw and sometimes it isn't pretty. It can be downright ugly. So let's, let's not, let's not agonize over polishing, tweaking levels, editing out the ums, man. We're just going to let it ride. How's that sound? I'm kind of excited about that. Now, before we get into that conversation and you hear our conversation warts and all, I got to give a nod to a partner of the podcast. Like this is a tough time of the year with it being the holidays. You know, it's, it's tough to get sober and stay sober. If you or somebody are in dire straits, I highly recommend that you reach out to my friends at DUI and behavioral health counseling centers here in Northern Illinois. 
Folks, if you or someone you love might have an issue with drinking, drugs, mental illness, or anger management, it's time to get in touch with my friends at DUI and Behavioral Health Counseling Centers here in Northern Illinois. It's time to set up an assessment. You've got nothing to lose. Depending on your situation, the assessment could be free. My friend Ron Parch and his team use their 25 years of experience to build an individualized treatment plan that's confidential and effective. They approach people in distress with respect, and I cannot stress enough how important that is to feel respected when you're going through something. DUI and Behavioral Health Counseling Centers has offices in Sycamore, Plano, and Crystal Lake. Check out DUISycamore.com or call 815-895-9000 and set up an evaluation today. Write this down, folks. Call 815-895-9000, visit DUISycamore.com, or you can email duibhs at gmail.com. All right, so I'm super jazzed about this. Like I said, you know, Brian and I are artists. Uh, you know, we oftentimes, you know, try to rehearse something and polish it until it's pitch perfect before we put it out in the universe. But this is the authentic experience, man. This is like as good as a live interview. This is my conversation with who I now consider a very dear friend, Brian James. I had my first uh, turkey, egg, and cheese sandwich of the holiday season this morning. I'm waking up very slowly these days. Um, yeah. Oh, I haven't been working out is an issue. I know that you've gone through some injuries and, and you know, I, I bailed on my, on my 101 K. And since I did that, like I, I all, but like completely shut down exercise. So like my, my energy level is in like the cellar right now. I completely understand. Uh, I just did a race last weekend and my knee is still kind of bothering me a little bit. Is this a knee you kind of had issues with on and off? Um, I injured this knee in high school and, and wrestling. And I haven't ran an ultra in a couple of years. And then last week, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to run one. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be my knee. So, in <laughs> what little I know, what little I know about you, the the uh, the approach of let's just go ahead and do it doesn't seem entirely out of character. <laughs> no, it's I mean it's probably not the smartest approach, <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's definitely an approach. <laughs> I take that approach too, and my wife is extremely like risk averse, and she'll be okay with me like blurting that out there for everyone to hear. Whereas, like, I'm just like eternally shooting from the hip. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, so obviously, you know, we're we're gonna talk about recovery. We're gonna talk about kind of you know your your backstory a little bit. We're gonna talk about how jujitsu and running were have really been a, a saving grace of yours. But in my extensive deep dive into your background, better known as scrolling your your social media feeds, <laughs> like you're an artist, whether it be your sense of humor, your your tastes. I, I first realized this morning that you're a musician as well. Like, mm -hmm. like you're, you're a very you march to the beat of your own drum. Would that be kind of a safe description? Yeah, yeah. For sure. I've, <laughs> I I was for sure you're going to just talk about all the memes that I post. <laughs> <laughs> the memes are hilarious. <laughs> but, 
No, I mean, I think about, and I know that, look, I know it's, it's never like safe to look at a picture of somebody and be like, oh, that's clearly who this picture is. But like, I look at, there, there was like the ceramic graveyard photo dump. Oh yeah. But then I see you in like the suit and tie with the crazy glasses and stuff. And I'm like, I want to hang out with this guy. This guy, this guy's fucking weird and and a good <laughs> kind of weird. Like that's the best compliment that I can pay. The highest compliment. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I usually don't hear that. Like, I want to hang out with this weird guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, same team, same team. I mean, yeah. was that what it was, was that what it was like for you growing up? Were you kind of the uh, were you the odd man out a little bit in terms of your tastes? Yeah, it definitely felt that way for sure. Like, I grew up in a really small town, and um, the high school I went to, there wasn't a lot of people there. Let's see, like. For example, <laughs> I went I went to see Van Halen one time. And <laughs> I got made fun of like for wearing a Van Halen t-shirt. <laughs> like, really? <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> okay. And then like once like I started listening to like like Soundgarden and White Zombie and all those bands, I definitely got made fun of for that. And like hip hop. Where was this? Where'd you grow up? Uh, southeast Iowa, right along the Mississippi. I think that'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't like you were showing up in like a, a Stone Roses or Stooges shirt or something. <laughs> yeah. I think it was just, I think, I don't know. I, I, I'm guessing like all schools were like that at some point. Like, because yeah. when we were younger, we're all, we're all dumb. We're all idiots. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's good that we're getting that out of the way right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's, I've always just kind of done what I... Well, when people were assholes, I, how did you respond to that? How, I, how did it make you feel, Brian? Um, well, like, at first it just kind of took me by surprise. Like, really? Like, I think this is cool. Like, what are you doing? But then, I, you know, you kind of get, like, kind of take it personal. But over the years, yeah. it's kind of, I've grown out of that. Like, okay, well, if you don't like it, that's cool. Let's... It's, it's whatever. Yeah. But, yeah. But when you're like 14, 15 years old and you're like egocentric and I, I know like for me, like there, I was terrified of what everybody thought about me. I still am to a great extent, but back then it wasn't, it wasn't so easy. I mean, how, how did you deal with it? Well, that's kind of where this, where it all started really. Like I felt like I didn't fit in. Yep. And then, well, then I found weed mm-hmm. and there that's how it all started really yeah in order to uh in order to fit the room right in order yeah to, pretty much i mean i had martin parker on the podcast i don't know if you ever listened to that guy but he and i had this like cathartic moment of both realizing that we use substances to either like smarten ourselves up or dumb ourselves down like it it it, it worked either way in our minds like if we wanted to not if we didn't want to be too high thinking mm-hmm. <laughs> then we would use substances to try to, you know, to try to dumb ourselves down. But we also thought we were incredibly clever as well in other scenarios. So it was like, this, this was like our, this was our shapeshifter device, you know? Right. Yeah. And for me, it was just like trying to find a group of people that I could identify with in high school. And then like, once I got out, um, I started getting into music and this was after I had quit alcohol for like a year. And then I found the punk rock scene and like the straight edge scene. 
Yeah, yeah. And that spoke to me a lot at the time with bands. Are we talking about like Minor Threat, Black Flag and stuff like that? Yeah, like yeah. those actually came later in my life. But okay. this was like early 2000s punk rock and hardcore bands that were you know like not every member was straight edge or whatever but there'd be a member that would stand out and speak about it or whatever and then i kind of identified with that a little bit so how long did that honeymoon last in terms of (laughs) (laughs) so i'd got i'd gotten sober for maybe a year at that point yeah and then yeah i don't know i'm not sure if i just got bored with it or or what happened i can't recall well it's interesting because like after i went through rehab in early spring of 2019 one of my most vivid memories of early recovery is i did the aa thing early on and Mm -hmm. you know god bless aa for millions and millions of people who for them aa is the tried and true method that's you know that's kept them sober you know bless their hearts but eventually I think it was the same scenario for you where we've, we've found some other tools, you know, that are more effective, but that said early in recovery, I remember sitting outside an AA meeting, sitting like cross-legged in a parking lot with this like six foot three haggard looking bass player. Mm -hmm. Um, But just, but just like the friendliest fucking guy in the world. And I remember sitting there and like picking his brain about, cause I was so worried about if, if I get sober and like more sober that I was going to become like less and less interesting and less clever. Like I was worried about like my wife, not loving the new me. Mm-hmm. Um, so we all had this idea that like without the substances, you know, we're no longer interesting people or funny people or clever people or, you know, artistic people. And I think, I think like the the biggest most shining example is we look at Trent Reznor, right? Who, my God, he was an incredible artist while he was on the drugs. But I mean, look at him without him. It's I don't know. I did. I, I I'm gonna assume that you kind of went through that too, where like you were you were worried about losing your edge, right? Yeah, exactly. And um, with the AA thing, I did go to AA for a while. I had a slip up where I drank a beer on a, on Fourth of July, I believe it was, and then I went back to AA and told them about it and they were pretty upset with me and I was already upset with myself because I'd you know given in and had a beer and with them being upset with me on top of me being upset with myself I'm like you know what I don't need this I'm just gonna go and not drink for a while and and that thing that you said about feeling like you lose your edge I felt like when I would drink and perform that my performances were, was better like because mm-hmm. um, I was a singer of, of a hardcore band and I my performances were, were a lot more wild when I would drink of course they were going to be more wild because I was drunk <laughs> yeah but, you're unhinged yeah and then years later after I'd gotten sober and I was in a different band I'm like I still have a shit ton of energy like I don't need that stuff. Like I'm able to actually do the performance and then help carry gear. <laughs> Where before, <laughs> like I would just get just get so drunk, I'd just get exhausted and wouldn't want to do anything. Yeah, <laughs> and then you'd surface sometime around like one or two in the afternoon the next day. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> or if you act, or if you actually got up, you'd be completely useless for the first two to three hours of the day, if not the, <laughs> the entirely. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whereas, I mean, now we do something. We get up the next morning. We're able to sort of reflect on it. And and you know, who who would have seen this coming? Now we can actually like self critique ourselves and get better faster at at our art. Right. Exactly. And it came with even at practices when I would drink, I would just. Uh, I don't feel like doing this anymore. But yeah. after I get after I've gotten sober, like I want I want to keep working on this. I think we got something going here. Whether it was, whether it would be with a band or just me doing stuff by myself, is it would be the same thing. Whether I drink, I would just be like, yeah, I don't want to do this. And then once I quit, like I really want to commit to this. That's translated not just in music, but in running and martial arts and everything. Well, let, let's hang out in the music space for a moment longer. Are, are you uh, are you working on anything right now? Um, I have a like a solo like electronic synth project that I work on. I got like five or six tracks written for that. Nice. Um, last year, when the pandemic was go- was in like full throttle and nobody could see their friends, I wrote a record dedicated to all my friends, just as wow. a way to way to give back. Like, mm-hmm. hey. I live- Hey, I'm still here. Like, here's a track for you. Here's my crappy synth track that I dedicated to you. <laughs> but I'm I'm making another one of those for for uh, next year. Is that available for public consumption? Yeah, it's on Spotify. What am I looking for? It's called Endless Reach. It's like um kind of like a horror theme kind of like synth electronic <laughs> I, I i had some guitar and stuff in there too the horror theme were you kind of pulling that from current events or what <laughs> it's it's kind of always something i wanted to do uh just kind of write a score for a horror movie i thought that would be something that would be so fun yeah and and i'm like oh, i wonder how i could use this and i'm like well maybe maybe some of my friends will like a track dedicated to them or because a lot of my friends are into the same things that I am, like horror movies and that type of stuff, like John Carpenter type, yeah, things. So it's it's kind of in that same vein. Well, you know, speaking of, speaking of uh, speaking of friends, I know that like when when we got sober, there was there were those burning questions, those tough decisions on you know who we who we kept around and who like we we cut out altogether like you know ripped the weeds out of the ground and really like you know burned bridges for self-preservation and stuff and then there were certain relationships where i think we just had to manage them where we could see people in certain contexts but we had to again for self-preservation not put ourselves in harm's way by like going to a specific venue or event with a person where we knew that you know we 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 put ourselves unnecessarily in in harm's way or in a situation of temptation like the these friends who you would share such a personal project and stuff and dedicate it to them are, are these folks who uh who have who like early in recovery who you connected with and bore your soul with i guess tell me a bit about like the weeding out process that you went through like early in sobriety in order to kind of curate your circle and because to me there's that balance like I let's not like beat up on AA, but one of my issues with AA was that I was instructed to cut out everybody in my life who I'd ever had a drink with. Oh, wow. And to me, yeah, it was a very, very militant sponsorship tree that I was in. And 
And it's like, okay, well, apart from like family members, that's everybody. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> how did you go about kind of curating your circle and what and how does it look today compared to what it looked like seven and a half years ago? I pretty much still have the same friends. Um, everyone has been really, really cool. Yeah, I mean, I still go to the same venues that I went to and everything, and no one gives me any shit about not drinking, which is what I was expecting to get. Yeah. Because um, that happened when I tried to quit before. Okay. But those people got weeded out then, I assume. Yeah. And, like, the, when I was when I was doing methamphetamines, like, I had to completely remove myself from that group completely. Because yeah. there was no way in hell that I was going to be able to quit being around them. And I'm not saying that they're terrible people. It's just it was the best decision for me at the time to completely remove myself from them. Because, like I said, if I didn't, I wouldn't, wouldn't have been able to quit. Well, jog my memory. Did you, uh, the first time that you quit, you quit everything. And then, uh, like, which, which which substances did you give up and when? So uh, it would have been for methamphetamines. It was 2001. It was right after September 11th. I was actually been awake for like three days when 9-11 happened. That like completely floored me. It was such a crazy morning. And I I just had the suspicion that something was going to happen. And that happened. And it's like, what? <laughs> and so it was around 2001 that I that I'd quit that. And I met my wife in 2004 and I'd been sober. I'm not sure the exact amount of time. And then I, that's when I was going to AA and going to shows. So it had been around 2004, 2005 that I relapsed. Relapsed with, with alcohol? Yeah, with alcohol. Um, like, like, like you haven't touched meth since uh, like no. the early 2000s. Gotcha. Gotcha. This is kind of what I'm piecing together. So up until like seven and a half years ago during that stretch, it, it was it was alcohol that was the issue. Yeah. And I've done like, you know, marijuana and mushrooms. Yeah. <laughs> to, to, to me, marijuana feels like it's like, and I, Christ, I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't be saying that like one substance is like worse than the other, given the fact that like we're all wired differently. Right. Um, but but to me. And I, yeah, I guess I'm kind of feeding into the trope of like the, you know, alcohol is, is, is so commonplace that it's a, you know, it's poison in plain sight for so many of us. But I guess I'm curious, like, which, which was harder for you to give up? Because it sounds like alcohol ultimately was the scourge that was just so hard to keep out of your life. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was going to say next was out of all the drugs that I've done, alcohol is by far the worst. Yeah. And it's crazy because that's the one that's accepted the most. Like for years, it's been been accepted, and that one was just damn near impossible to quit. Well, and I, I think everybody who's listening to this has heard this logic, this batshit logic. But there might be somebody who's listening to it for the first time, and or is, is hearing this for the first time. In that, alcohol is the one drug that we get shamed for not using. Yeah, yeah. Like, why aren't you drinking? <laughs> <laughs> why aren't you fucking with your brain right now why why aren't, yeah. you, why aren't you setting yourself up for failure <laughs> yeah you don't want to come out with us and sit and drink for four hours 
you know how the podcast works. We we try to spend a lot a lot more time looking at beauty rather than ugly. And so I mean, let's let's kind of flip that on its head for a moment and talk about. I know that you ate a lot of crap yesterday. I know we all <laughs> any of us any of us who did it right did that. And happy Thanksgiving, by the way. Yeah, happy Thanksgiving. Uh, <laughs> thanks, thanks. But I mean, waking up the next day just feeling like turkeyed out and stuffinged out and pecan pied out is a hell of a lot better than also waking up feeling like dehydrated as fuck and like dragging anchor, right? I mean, how nice have these past couple of days been that it's like I'll, I'll get I'll get over this by noon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh man, like waking up without a hangover is <laughs> it's amazing. Like, yeah, of course I'm a little tired. I, <laughs> I ate like an idiot, but I'll get past that. <laughs> yeah. What you know what was mind blowing to me was that I. Uh, <sighs> You know, you, you hear the war stories and the horror stories from people. And, I, you know, like, because I, I would always get hungover. You know, I, I could drink every day of the week, drink my way through every work shift. And the next day I woke up with a hungover, hangover. And like some people, some people like in the rooms would say, oh, well, if you were still waking up with hangovers, you know, you, you couldn't have you couldn't have been that bad off because if you're an alcoholic, you don't even get hangovers anymore. And it, it just to me, this like qualifying of like, how whether you meet the criteria to be an alcoholic is so fucking dangerous. Like I remember sitting in in rehab and looking around the room and being like, oh shit, I don't belong here. It's such a mind fuck because like I, I've spent my entire life like talking myself out of the fact that there's a problem. And this isn't just with the with substances, but it's like, oh well, no, you're just a little anxious. Or no, you're just you're just a little sad. I was like, no, I can't I like I can't function in society <laughs> right now yeah um did, did i mean did you kind of go that go through that too whether we're talking about mental health or substances where you kind of like talked yourself out of the fact that you needed help yeah like i didn't think i needed help that was the thing yeah <laughs> like even though i was drinking every single day i felt like i didn't need help <laughs> and then with the the mental health thing it it didn't even register like it's it was yeah it was i don't even know how to describe it like when it got really bad i don't i felt i i didn't feel like i was myself at all what's the story there well like i was drinking every single day mm-hmm. and just felt like i wasn't going anywhere and i was just a burden on everyone in my life that's how it felt like just and my poor wife happened to deal with me every single day (laughs) well i think we all need to like you know get out of our chairs and give a standing ovation to those who stuck around it's pretty it's pretty amazing but it sounds like for you if we're talking like chicken and egg like and I, and I know that nothing is this cut and dried, but would you say that like addiction like came first and then the mental health issues were the fallout of that? Or did you deal with anxiety and shit when you were younger too? I think it's always been there. I think I used to kind of, to get over, especially like uh, with alcohol, like social anxiety. Mm-hmm. Like if I didn't drink, I wouldn't talk. I wouldn't. <laughs> And once I got a few in me, like, I wouldn't shut up. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, right. The dam bursts. Yeah. <laughs> I got um, a lot of stuff to say. <laughs> yeah. Well, you have a talk for an hour. <laughs> all of a sudden, you got all these things <laughs> got, to say. <laughs> I got to catch up. <laughs> but yeah, I feel like it's kind of always been there. And it's, you know, it wasn't something that I kind of uh, recognized or focused on until I kind of got sober. I don't know, going to like a, um, I went to a psychiatric hospital and that really helped me out, which going in there, I was completely terrified. Like, I don't know what the hell they're going to do to me. (laughs) When was this? Um, This is when I uh, uh, attempted suicide. When was that? Catch me up. Yeah, this was in 2014. And... But I, I definitely, I'd been there previously, like a year or two before. Just I wasn't, I wasn't sleeping, and mm-hmm. I was trying to quit then, and I just wasn't sleeping at all. And then I went in there, and I went in completely terrified, thinking that it was going to be something like who flew over the cuckoo's nest. <laughs> oh yeah! Oh hell yeah! Exactly. <laughs> like, they're going to strap me to a table. <laughs> yep. Yeah. The state. The state hospital. Yeah. <laughs> It wasn't like that at all. Everyone was really understanding and helped me get through a lot of shit and kind of diagnosed me the proper proper way. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's what that is. What was I, what was it like, kind of living through a through a suicide attempt? And it goes without saying, man, that I'm so incredibly grateful that you're still here, given all the beauty that you put into the world and the humor and the, and the, and the deep connections and raising, raising money for, for, you know, cancer awareness and research and shit like that. I mean, you put such awesome things out into the world. So I'm glad you're here. Uh, but the, the, you know, the, the time after that, because I mean, I think we've established pretty well what you and I have been through and what leads somebody to that place where that feels like the only solution, but, Afterward, in terms of, you know, your family, your friends and your wife and stuff, what was that dynamic like? I, because I have to think that there's a certain amount of like people not wanting to let you out of their sight and how that can be kind of counterproductive sometimes that we, that we feel like even more of a burden. But like, what, were you surprised by the amount of love that you received or understanding? Like, what were those weeks or months after that like? Or were there some revelations there? Yeah, for sure. Um, like the the following, you know, week after I'd gotten out of the um, psychiatric hospital, I I felt felt tension. I felt like there was a lot of pressure on me, but at the same time, it's like everyone everyone was there for me. No one was, you know, like pointing the finger at me or being negative towards me. Everyone was being really nice. And I had a friend come down that lives about a half hour away, come down and ride bikes with me one day and just kind of talk to me. And that that really helped me out a lot. And he was like, pulled me aside. He's like, I'm glad you're doing well. And he's like, but you can never drink again. I'm like, I know. <laughs> I, 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 I can't. Just kind of that whole time, um, it reminds me of a quote that Henry Rollins said, actually. It was, um, the world is a lot better with you in it. Yeah. And that just kept replaying over in my head. Like, the world yeah. is a lot better with me in it. Um, it's, so, it's so fucking simple. But yeah, it, that a very similar phrase that, that I heard in rehab is "you are worth it." Yeah, yeah, for sure. 
and this just like understanding that we we deserve happiness as much as the next guy exactly um, which is tough for us to wrap our head around since we spent so many years like trying to erase ourselves yeah yeah and just going through something like that it kind of opened my eyes a bit to what other people are going through and realizing that I'm not the only one going through it. So you are, you know, the world is so much better off with you in it. Let's, let's, let's talk about like what your world looks like. And okay. Let's, let's only spend another two to three minutes kind of in the doldrums a little bit. We're going to emerge from this forest in just a moment, but everybody has had a rough time over the past couple of years. Like 2020 was a, was a fucking dumpster fire extraordinaire. Yeah. But here's, here's something kind of twisted is that like, I found sobriety fairly easy in the pandemic because I'm spoiled rotten in that. (laughs) I suddenly, I suddenly got the opportunity to hang out with my kids every day. Yes. They drive me, they drive me nuts, but I mean, to be able to witness them, and their like aura every day was crazy cool. Never would have had the opportunity to, to, to not go to the office 10 hours every day until this happened. And, and, and frankly, like there weren't the opportunities to go out to the bar either. So sobriety became rather easy for me. Now you ran into some circumstances that made, that made being happy. Let's, let's not even say staying sober that made being happy a fucking bitch in that you lost people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that last year was definitely the hardest year of sobriety for me. Yeah. Um, in August, I lost my dad. Um, and that, like, I got the call while I was on lunch break. And uh, my whole chest just got really tight. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I just felt like a part of me left with him that day too. Yeah. And that took a, that took a lot out of me. And the next morning I went and trained martial arts with my friends just to kind of get through the day. Yeah. And it was definitely the high point in my day. And I know that he probably would have wanted me to just, just to get on the mat too. <laughs> just, just to yeah. get out there and do it. Cause he was really proud of me that I started doing that. And then flash forward to November, just, just this last week, actually a year ago, last week, one of my friends passed away on his birthday. Jeez. Yeah. He just turned 50 and passed away. And all those feelings that I had when my dad passed away and all the stuff I was just, just kind of not necessarily getting over, but just kind of getting through all came rushing back. Uh, I just completely broke down and just didn't want to go anywhere or do anything or talk to anybody. Just, it was really dark. Yeah. And it took a little while for me to get out of that too. This had to have been a lot harder with you, with the situation with your friend in terms of being able to, to sort of leverage that relationship. Maybe I'm wrong, but wh- one of the things I thought was really beautiful in your story on the Heron Projects page, and people should go and check that out and read it, was that you were able to tap into, as you were grieving your dad, you were able to tap into the fact that he was so damn proud of you 
for getting sober and for mm-hmm. finding your passions and tapping into tapping people out. Wow. Look what I just did there. <laughs> um, Jesus Christ. That was terrible. Holy fuck. No, um, that's a, that's a great dad joke, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I got, I got, I got dad jokes. Um, but you, uh, you were able to sort of be like, shit, this hurts. This is fucking terrible. But the best way that I can honor my dad is by continuing to live my life and really lean on the fact that he was so proud of me for getting clean. Like that, that feels like a breakthrough moment to me. Yeah, it definitely, definitely was. Yeah. Um, Yeah. He was, he was definitely, definitely proud that I was able to overcome the, just the alcohol and then get through the psychiatric care and everything and then find something that that made me happy and i know like if i had been if i hadn't quit drinking i'd be in a hell of a lot worse shape than i am now and now a word from our sponsor If drugs or alcohol are starting to take over your life, it's time to get honest with yourself and get help. These days, many people are at home or out of work, and the temptation to turn to alcohol and drugs to cope with stress and anxiety is stronger than ever before, right? Stop using now before it's too late. Gateway Foundation is here for you and your family with life-saving inpatient as well as virtual programs, so you can access the help you need from the privacy of your own home. Don't wait to get help that you or a loved one needs. Most insurance plans are accepted. Call Gateway Foundation now at 877-505-HOPE. That's 877-505-4673 to schedule a free confidential consultation or you can visit gatewayfoundation.org and get the help that you need today. And now back to the show. Well, here we are. Here we are. Let, let's do the thing, man. Let's let's talk about what you found. Because because first off, you get into distance running, which mm-hmm. that I can that I can identify with. Right. Uh, I've been run quite as far as you yet. I'm working my way up to that. But and as you ran into an injury or two, that that kind of made you refocus your energy or kind of shop around for something else you loved. And you found jujitsu. Mm-hmm. Tell me about like the early, uh, like, like falling in love with that. What was, what was the, uh, what was the courtship like with jujitsu? Yeah. So like, um, to go back a little bit, the last, uh, ultra I ran was a 50 miler. And then the following year I went to go do it again. And I got a really bad case of, uh, plantar fasciitis. And I, I think I stopped on like mile 14 and like, I cannot run anymore. Yeah. And I, I kept trying to run like days and weeks after that. And it, I just couldn't do it. Started to gain weight. And then both of my parents were in the hospital at the same time in different hospitals. And it just, I just couldn't handle it. Like mentally, I just couldn't deal with anything. And then I, I uh, have a friend that I met um, through playing music. And he, he's been doing martial arts for like 10 years. And he's like, hey, you should come try jujitsu. I'm like, what the hell is that? Because <laughs> <laughs> I knew he fought, but I didn't know exactly what in. And him and his brother owned this gym. And he invited me over and I tried it out. 
And I'm like, oh, this is really cool. And then eventually I went to the school that he went to and I did the drilling with them. And then it came time for sparring and I got choked. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, what was that? I want to learn how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> what does that say about you that it wasn't like, oh, that hurt. That's terrifying. It's like, no, I want to figure out how to do that to someone else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because like a lot of people, like if they get caught in something like that, their ego gets the best of them and they never show back up. Would that usually have been you? Um, in like a, in other situations, like if things got really hard, that you might have gone away from it. Oh, I'm sure, yeah, I'm, without a doubt. But for something, for some reason, that like, like, oh, I, w- I want to learn how to do this. Uh, this is really cool. And what jujitsu has been the most surprising to me is the the people, like mm-hmm. the just the the feeling of being a part of something, and just the people are so so cool and nice and that's the complete opposite of what i expected because of what you see because let's face it martial arts is, is violence right yeah and everyone has such a good sense of humor and everyone that i've ever trained with has been really helpful and it's just a really good time there's every class there's something <laughs> that, that i can laugh about that happens there's always something never a dull moment in it and it's done a lot for me as far as mental health goes it just kind of it just let's say i have a bad day at work and i go there and i train i'm mm-hmm. not thinking about my job at all i'm not thinking about anything and i've said this to other people that haven't trained it i'm like if you're thinking about your day at the office you're gonna get choked <laughs> yeah 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 you, you've got to be it's so intense and you could you it just forces you to think about the moment and that part of it, I love. I absolutely love that because you're just in the moment. You're just thinking about where you're at positional wise and everything else. Well, you know, I think about because this is something I was thinking about early in our conversation was, you know, we talk about, you know, growing up in small town America and how it's how it's strange to be the purple dinosaur among among a bunch of green dinosaurs. And I kind of thought about like the, the jujitsu community. Because I think the jujitsu community is probably markedly different from like other mixed martial arts communities in that it feels to me like it's a different discipline. Like, I don't know, maybe I'm completely full of shit on this, but isn't there a certain like aspect of jujitsu where it's a matter of like the, the, the practice is not learning how to fight. It's learning how not to fight. Or am I conflating that with another discipline? Oh, no, that's that's entirely how I see it, too. Yeah, I, there's so many quotes that are coming to mind. It's like learning how to fight without actually having to fight. Mm-hmm. And like the, the whole purpose of like self-defense jujitsu, I think Henry Gracie is one of the guys that said, my main objective is to for both of us to go home without having caused any injury. And that part of it I love, like if someone were to attack me, I, my main goal is to have us both go home and be okay. <laughs> Sub- subdue them. Yeah. Just, just control them until help arrives basically. That's like, cool. Yeah. Cause there's, there's no strikes involved. I mean, I trained striking on, on the side, but I don't, when we train there, we don't throw strikes. So it's, it's, it's pretty cool to me. 
I mean, it's, it's such a hot button topic, you know, ma- masculinity, toxic masculinity and stuff. And I just think it's so cool where we're talking about leveraging physical strength and like physical prowess in order to de-escalate. Yeah. It, it, to me, that's very poetic. Mm-hmm. Now I'm yeah. interested. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It, and it's crazy that something like this is what gets me through, <laughs> gets me through the day. It's and it's such a technical technical sport too. It's I didn't think it was going to be as difficult <laughs> as it is. It's crazy. There's always a counter to a counter to a counter. <laughs> yeah. It's always evolving too. It's it's crazy. That sounds like chess. Yeah, it's it's human chess. That's rad. <laughs> yeah. Have, have you ever? Uh, I mean, how long have you been doing this now? Like like seven seven and a half years. Like does it kind of uh, line up with your sobriety or? It was four years yesterday. Oh, wow. Happy anniversary. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> and so, okay, well, how did that line up with Thanksgiving? Was it like the day after Thanksgiving one, one year? Um, it was, yeah, I believe it was the day after they had a <laughs> open mat. <laughs> so you're like, oh, my God, I need to get off this fucking couch. Let's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's go try this and see if I can not get sick. Yeah, let's go roll around and hopefully I don't shit my pants. <laughs> <laughs> now, since you've been doing it for like four years, obviously, <laughs> to draw another parallel to AA, you're not the person with the most time in the room when it comes to jujitsu, but you know some stuff. You know, mm-hmm. you've developed a lot of technique and sort of, you know, fit yourself into the hierarchy, I would imagine. What's it like when a newbie comes along and they might not get it initially? Because it sounds like for you, you got it pretty quickly. Like what this is, what it could do for you, like mm-hmm. what the discipline is actually practicing. Do you have some guys who come in looking looking to do kickboxing and they end up finding jujitsu? Um, with um, um, the, some new people come in and they have no idea what it is. And I'll try to just kind of slow everything down mm-hmm. if I'm if I'm the one working with them because that's a that's a big thing that happens a lot. They just they're just trying <laughs> they just kind of spaz out. Uh, that's not what you want to do. <laughs> it doesn't really work. <laughs> you just end up exhausting yourself. Just slow down and and get the technique right. And then one thing I always say is just keep coming back. Cause that's the only way that you're going to improve. Wow. That, uh, <laughs> I, I, we're spending a lot of time talking about AA for a couple of guys. who are not in that particular fellowship <laughs> program, but you literally just said, keep coming back. <laughs> yeah. Just keep coming back. <laughs> you want to know the secrets of jujitsu? Well, come back next time. And I'll tell you, isn't that the old trick? <laughs> wow. There's, there's no 12 step program. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> yeah and my my wife just started a couple of days ago so oh, how's that going it's been it's been a lot of fun she's enjoying it <laughs> it's gonna be interesting uh once she gets it down i have a feeling that i'm gonna lose a lot of matches and i'm gonna have to do the dishes a lot <laughs> <laughs> well hey as we as we tie things up nicely here i uh I was just listening to another little-known podcast, uh, the uh, Dak Shepard podcast, Armchair Expert, 
And one of his lesser known guests, Nick Offerman, who of course <laughs> is famous for being Ron Swanson, but was like trained in the theater in Chicago and not far from here. And he pointed out something that really resonated with me. Like I was literally going around like the block with the dogs this morning and he brought this up and it, and it just kind of shook me in that there was a breakthrough moment for him when he was in theater school with like his Kabuki theater sensei who just reminded him to always remain a student of life. Mm -hmm. And so I guess what I would ask you at this point you know, because we are always growing, we are always dynamic. Like, how are you looking to grow over these next 40 or 50 years? Like, wh what do you want out of this experience called life? Um, like, always being able to learn something is what keeps me, keeps me going. Because that was a big fear of mine when I first got sober. It was like, what the hell am I going to do? Mm -hmm. And it's like, well why don't we try to learn something new? Why don't we experience something new? And that's something that I want to keep doing is experiencing new things, go to different places, places that I haven't been. Um, for example, I just tried surfing like two years ago for the first time and absolutely fell in love with it. I want to just keep experiencing new things. And one of the things early on in sobriety that I would battle with is feeling that all those years that that I got wasted are now gone. They're they're wasted. It's mm, dangerous. That's a slippery slope, right? Yeah, exactly. But now with, you know, doing this podcast and doing the Heron Project and other companies that have sobriety and getting people's stories out there, it's like, well, if I can get my story out there, maybe that time wasn't so wasted. Maybe I can use that time to help other people. Mm, I love that. And that's something I want to continue to keep doing is if someone's, you know, struggling with whatever addiction it is or mental health, maybe my story or other stories like that are on your podcast or whatever, maybe they can be helped. Maybe they can find inspiration somewhere and do something more positive in their life that'll help them get through the situation. Yeah. I, th I think about the folks who have gotten to this point in our conversation who are listening, like just scraping and clawing and trying to figure out how to uh, how to get somebody who they love some help. And so I, I hope it's sort of at this point in the conversation where whether it's the person who is struggling or knows somebody who is that they can kind of latch on to that. Because you and I just so very much share that that idea that uh, like we are growing in dynamic people unless something is holding us in place, which for us, that was substances. Like we thought that that was making us creative, but it was actually like limiting our, our ability to become more dynamic people. Right. Um, I think about something as simple as like, I, if, if we used to go bumming, as we call it, my wife and I going to like antique stores and like weird places and stuff. Like I always used to get really bored because my mind was always looking ahead to, okay, you know, what, what, what are we going to be doing later? Where, where are we going to go that might have has like some interesting beers on tap or something like that. And now it's like, I could go to, I could go just about anywhere and stare at the same object from a few different angles and I'll, and always find something new. So it's, it's just the little fascinations with life 
that are so different now. So yeah, so I guess this is a long way around to me saying, okay, so the, like the little things are more fascinating. Do you have any big things that you want to do? I know you tried surfing. Are, are there any like like other like grandiose like bucket list things that you got? Um, let's see. No is an I, acceptable answer too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's definitely uh, definitely some things that I want to experience. I've never been skydiving. I'd like to do that. I'd like to actually try to fly a plane, Ooh. although that would probably end horribly. <laughs> <laughs> you might end up skydiving if yeah. you're piloting the plane. Uh, get 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 two birds there uh, stoned at once, <laughs> as Trailer Park Boys would say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely like to go surfing again because it was so difficult, and that's what I loved about it. It's like I want to get this down. <laughs> Mm, yes yeah yeah, it was really really hard for timing because the waves would come in and I wouldn't realize how big they were going to be or how small they would be because they'd kind of die off sometimes yeah and just being able to stand on the board was more of a challenge than I thought it was going to be (laughs) yeah yeah this uh surfing is very humbling you basically you put anything between my feet and the ground or water and it's humbling for me like we went ice skating yesterday for the first time in a couple of years and it, it's i'm i'm bambi out there you know just legs going everywhere yeah i've, I've well, never been ice skating so maybe that's oh, another one i should try <laughs> heavily padded ice skating <laughs> he writes down ice skating yeah <laughs> I mean, the beauty is the world is our oyster, man. Like we get to try all these things and that's, that's pretty rad. Uh, but no, I, I do love what you said before in that just this, just fucking meeting people and having conversations and helping others, like that's life affirming in and of itself. So this is, this has been like, I was so excited to chat with you and this has like lived up to my expectations and exceeded them. So I appreciate we got the chance to, to meet each other and chat. Yeah, this this has been awesome. And yeah, with being able to hopefully help somebody, it kind of gives purpose. Yeah. It yeah, it's then what you have going on here is absolutely amazing. And I'm I'm so grateful that I got to be on here. And I'm I'm glad that we finally were able to <laughs> get the podcast going with so many hiccups that we had. <laughs> It's just, it's hey, it's like running an ultra. Just keep your, just keep moving forward. Even if you're, <laughs> even if you're like crab walking, whatever the fuck you got to do to get the to get the audio. And that's what we did. Look at us. Yeah, yeah. That was that was pretty much how my last race went. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, stay stay scrappy, my friend. All right. Yeah, you too. All right. Cheers. Take care, Brian. Yep. Take care. Bye. Bye. All right, how rad was that? My God, that man is funny. And I mean, such insights, such insights into the world. Uh, I, I hope that you were able to take a number of things from that conversation like I was. Thank you so much to Brian for joining me on the podcast. Thank you to everybody out there for doing your damnedest to be the best humans you can be. Look forward to catching up with you next time. Just remember, if it feels like things are falling apart outside of this space, right here we are always 
coming together. I love you so much, folks, and we'll talk to you soon. Peace. We out. <laughs>